listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to The Corbett Report. I'm your host, as always, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you from the sunny climes of Western Japan here in late March of 2020. You're tuned into episode 374 of the Corbett Report podcast, The Greatest Depression. Now, if you're familiar with my work, you will know by now that the real terrorists of September 11th, 2001, used a series of controlled demolitions to inaugurate the age of the War of Terror. And as is becoming evident to all, in March of 2020, the financial terrorists used another controlled demolition, this time a controlled demolition of the economy, to usher in the next stage of this war on humanity. Let's turn to the United States now, and the recession choir is growing louder. The four big banks see the economy dropping double digits, while Bank of America sees a 12% drop in GDP. Morgan Stanley sees a dramatic 30% plunge in the second quarter. St. Louis Fed President James Bullard has the most pessimistic, uh, pessimistic call, perhaps. He predicts a whopping 50% drop in U.S. GDP. The spread of the coronavirus, COVID-19, has been a major shock to the growth prospects of the global economy and the euro area economy. And it has heightened market volatility. First, the outlook for global growth. For 2020, it is negative, a recession at least as bad as during the global financial crisis or worse. We have an economic yeah. inferno coming at us, okay? Uh, you know, from, uh, Secretary uh, Mnuchin was talking about 20% unemployment. Remember, from the great crash in 1929, and our stock market over the last three weeks has been like the great crash in 29. When Roosevelt was elected, right. that was two and a half years later. Unemployment didn't drop really off the market until 31 and 32. Now it's going to drop next week and the following week. But let's be clear now. Nobody in our government, at least, or I think the prior government, could have envisioned flying planes into buildings. I mean, a global coronavirus pandemic that threatens the entire global economy. So let us never tolerate outrageous conspiracy theories or misinformation about the current 9-11, I mean, pandemic. Financial markets have tumbled, with all down significantly for the year. Economic disruptions are being felt across the globe. Markets around the world are sinking fast. It's the worst week in a decade for global stocks. But come on, common sense says it shouldn't be controversial to suggest a response should prioritize both lives and livelihoods. And I am very concerned about the economic crisis that could also take a great toll on people's lives, not just their livelihoods. When this is all over, some families, some cities will have suffered more from our interventions than from caps. We cannot let the cure be worse than the problem itself. We're not going to let the cure be worse than the problem. The World Bank and IMF together disperse about $185 billion per year in funds. And they've already distributed a substantial portion of that money in this crisis. Thanks to the generosity and mobilization of our membership, 
we rely on $1 trillion uh, in overall lending capacity. The airline industries, would you consider them in some ways industries that we can't let fail? Some of them I would support. I mean, uh, otherwise the entire system breaks apart, falls apart. But the reality is, look, you, you, it's the only inner city transportation system we have. We can't let the, all the major airlines go bankrupt. Let us never tolerate outrageous conspiracy theories concerning the attacks of September the 11th. There is a lot of misinformation and conspiracy theory, and we have to be very, very careful. Yes, as the Corporate Report audience will know by now, on September 11th, 2001, some absolutely incredible events unfolded that could not have been foreseen by anyone except for the numerous governmental, military, and intelligence agencies that had planned, simulated, and wargamed out exactly those events taking place. Well, now here we are in March 2020, where some absolutely unforeseeable black swan circumstances have sent shockwaves through the global economy that couldn't have been foreseen by anyone except for the pandemic planners of Event 201, who talked in great detail in just five months ago in great detail about exactly how the world economy would grind to a halt in the event of a globally spreading coronavirus pandemic. Where, of course, as you know, the attendees got their coronavirus plushies to take home as a little memento mori of that fateful conference. Anyway, as you know, there are a number of parallels that are worth looking into here, but I think in order to understand the events of the past few weeks from an economic perspective, we're going to have to roll up our sleeves and take a look at just some of the pieces of data that have unfolded like a nightmare across the news feeds in the past couple of months. And as much as I put in the caveat last week in this podcast, lamenting the podcaster's dilemma that I'm talking about unfolding and ongoing events in the middle of a crisis, so anything that I say to you will be necessarily partial and incomplete and open-ended, well, that applies doubly so in this chaotic economic environment where we are only beginning to see the beginning thin edge of the wedge of the economic effects of what is playing out through the global economy. So please take that into account that this is only intended to give you a snapshot of what has been happening, but hopefully we can lay out some form of timeline that at least helps put these events into perspective. And let's start way back at the beginning of February 2020, when people started to fret about the effects of the complete shutdown of large sections of China, including some of its most productive industrial sections, uh, would have on the global economy. And we get this, for example, from stories like this one, which came out on February 1st, more than half of China extends shutdown over virus. Noting that at least 24 provinces, municipalities, and regions in China have told businesses not to resume work before February 10th at the earliest. And last year, those parts of China accounted for, for more than 80% of the Chinese national GDP and 90% of exports. Do you think that's going to have an effect on the global economy? Yes, yes it is. And that started to become quite apparent just 10 days later, February 11th, China is struggling to get back to work 
after the coronavirus lockdown, noting that worker shortages, transport disruption, a lack of medical supplies, and heavy-handed local officials are all making life difficult for businesses, the Chinese government said Tuesday. And it wasn't long before those ripple effects started to be seen and felt elsewhere, including in the United States, where on February 12th, for example, we got this report, coronavirus could start to empty shelves in some U.S. stores by mid-April. Note that we are not even in the midst of this crisis yet. Uh, This Wells Fargo report noted that we believe the time to start worrying about the supply chain risk dot 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 is here. Uh, February 24th, so a couple of weeks after that, the Dow began its incredible, remarkable tumble, this time tumbling more than 1,000 points in one day, marking its third worst point drop in history, and actually that looks like relative child play from our perspective here just a few weeks later. But don't worry, on February 25th, our friends at Never a Straight Answer published images, satellite images, that show airborne nitrogen dioxide plummeting over China. Well, there you go. So we can all be happy to see that the, the vision of the new green, the green New Dealers coming, coming into view already. Wow, we just have to st- just clamp down on all human act- productive activity, and then we can make everything better again, and the Earth will stop screaming. Fast forward a couple of days, and we wrap up that incredible week with Dow falling 350 more points to cap the worst week for Wall Street since the financial crisis. And again, that wasn't anything yet. So as I went on to detail in my subsequent subscriber newsletter, The Roller Coaster Ride Has Begun, that began an incredible roller coaster ride of a week in which on March 2nd, the market's open to the biggest ever point gain on the Dow. And then the following day, the Dow dropped another 800 points after the Fed's surprising news about the economy. What surprising news? Oh yes, the Fed held an emergency meeting to to cut slash interest rates by half a percentage point. And the markets, instead of going yay, actually went, oh no, we're in deep trouble. And sold off another 800 points. But don't worry, the very following day, we had the Biden bounce because Super Tuesday happened and it looks like Biden is going to be the Democratic nominee. So Dow futures up 666 points, that number again, as traders forget about panicking Fed. March 5th, global markets follow US stocks higher. So I guess everything was all right again, right? Of course not. By March 12th, just one week later, the Dow Jones had its biggest point drop in history, plunging nearly 3,000 points in a single day. March 15th, the Fed panics. Again, one might add. Fed panics. Powell cuts rates to zero, announces $700 billion QE5. That's quantitative easing round five for those keeping track at home. I did write about quantitative easing round four in the newsletter last year, in case you missed it, and unveils enhanced global swap lines. March 15th, also that same day, I'm going to direct you to the actual Federal Reserve Board of Governors press release about these moves that is being reported on in that article that I just cited the headline, because I want you to read through this, if for nothing else, this is a press release from the Fed announcing the various measures that they're taking uh, on that day, including 
measures to do with the discount window, intraday credit, bank capital and liquidity buffers. But scroll down to the bottom, and at the bottom of this press release is an announcement that, again, in any other trading day in history would have been front page news, would have been a major, incredible story. As it is, I don't think it even made a blip on the radars. Does anyone even remember that the Fed announced under reserve requirements... For many years, reserve requirements played a central role in the implementation of monetary policy by creating a stable demand for reserves. In January 2019, the FOMC announced its intention to implement monetary policy in an ample reserves regime. Reserve requirements do not play a significant role in this operating framework. In light of the shift to an ample reserves regime, the board has reduced reserve requirement ratios to 0%. Effective on March 26, the beginning of the next reserve maintenance period. This action eliminates reserve requirements for thousands of depository institutions and will help to support lending to households and businesses. Yes, reserve requirements. You may not have noticed, but reserve requirements have now been dropped to zero. So absolute unlimited balloon out loans and, and create loan money, debt money out of nothing as much as you possibly can, banks. 100% green means go. And don't worry, guys, this isn't some sort of emergency measure that came out of nowhere. No, we've been talking about this for over a year now, and here we are now just kind of rolling it out. Oh, when's it coming? Oh, yeah, next week. You know, just, just hold on, guys. Here it is. Absolutely incredible. And as I say, that would have made a pretty large story on any other trading day, but not in March of 2020. So, March 17th, we get... More news about the Fed and its various ventures into the markets. Federal Reserve launches crisis-era commercial paper funding facility. Noting that the Fed opened up the commercial paper funding facility under Section 13.3 of the Federal Reserve Act, which enables it to support the real economy rather than just the financial sector. And the U.S. Central Bank received permission from Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. In a statement, the Fed said it was acting to provide credit that will support families, businesses, and jobs across the economy. Technically, the Fed set up a special purpose vehicle that will purchase unsecured and asset-backed commercial paper directly from eligible companies facilitating new issuance. And as always, as I always say, the devil's in the details. Well, there are some interesting details to do with these uh, paper funding facilities that are being set up, which we'll get into in a moment. But let's continue our little timeline here. March 22nd. We have this incredible bombshell announcement, not just one, not just two, but three of the top bankster institutions in the land, Morgan Stanley, Government Sucks, I mean Goldman Sachs, and JPM, all predicting a depressionary crash, including ex expect expectations that uh, second quarter GDP would drop as much as 30%, noting from a report uh, uh, from uh, Morgan Stanley, we now see first quarter GDP dropping by 2.4% as economic activity has come to a near standstill in March, followed by a record-breaking drop of 30.1% in the second quarter. And uh, that isn't even the worst case scenario. Uh, uh, St. Louis uh, Federal Reserve President James Bullard came up with an absolutely staggering 50% drop in GDP, worst case scenario, on that same day. So... Absolutely all of the banksters screaming that this is going to be the biggest economic event in human history, essentially, is what they're saying. Um, keep on moving. The same day, March 22nd. Don't worry, guys. The Fed is here. Fed will make up to $4 trillion in loans to businesses to rescue the U.S. economy, Mnuchin says. 
Following day, March 23rd, this was the fastest 30% sell-off ever, exceeding the pace of declines during the Great Depression, noting the moves in the stock markets in the U.S., and noting that, yes, there has never been a faster sell-off. And the all of the gains made during all of the Trump presidency, followed uh, fueled by all that hopium uh, in the economy and all the pumping up of the bubble, completely deflated in the course of a few weeks. Years of progress and wealth creation completely deflated in a few weeks. Hmm, makes you wonder. March 24th, Dow soars more than 11% in biggest one-day jump since 1933. What? What's going on? Oh, I guess good news. We're back to the gravy train. What gravy train specifically? Oh, that's right. March 25th, the $2 trillion coronavirus stimulus deal. And we get this explainer from Yahoo!, uh, to, noting some of the things that are in this $2 trillion stimulus deal. For the airlines, a special provision. The deal reportedly includes $50 billion specifically for passenger airlines, $8 billion for cargo airlines, and $17 billion for firms that are deemed to be important to national security. There are billions more for businesses, provisions to ban stock buybacks, and other stimulative measures, including, of course, that wonderful money from heaven. Hundreds of billions more dollars in the deal will also indirectly flow to businesses. First and foremost, lawmakers hope that the $1,200 checks that they're going to be writing will be spent across a range of industries. And then on March 25th, uh, again, news. It's interesting what news impacts you in what way. And this was a psychologically impacting story for me because I did note this in my editorial on the roller coaster ride has begun that negative interest rates are coming to the US. I did not expect that they would be coming to the US within the span of a few weeks, but here we are. Negative rates come to the US. One month and three month treasury bill yields are now below zero. So as a wrap up and as a, some way of trying to synthesize all of the information about just what the Fed has been doing uh, for its part in funding uh, in the trillions of dollars of different liquidity injections that it's going to be making, we'll turn to Wolf Richter at wolfstreet.com, who's been doing some great work. I've been reading his economic analysis of what's uh, happening in the markets, and he's been doing some good work documenting this. So I'll direct you to a wrap-up article that of sorts that he wrote in March 23rd. What are all the Fed's corporate and investor bailout programs and SPVs special purpose vehicles, here's the whole shitload of them. And he starts by breaking it down in uh, the bailout programs that have been announced into three broad categories. Number one, Fed buying assets directly. Number two, the Fed setting up special purpose vehicles or SPVs that then lend uh, or buy assets directly from other businesses. Or number three, the Fed lending to its 24 primary de dealers against collateral and that collateral can be anything the Fed decides, including now stocks. And in the end, finally old bicycles. Why not? Um, and so, and then he breaks down all of the different uh, stimulative and uh, measures and, and different facilities that have been announced so far, including QE Unlimited, which is uh, also being referred to Q as Q Eternity, which I, I think that's probably the one I might use. Q Eternity. Uh, the purchases of Treasury Secretaries and MBS mortgage-backed securities will be unlimited. 
Previously, the limit had been 500 billion of treasury securities and 200 billion of mortgage-backed securities. Pfft, that's tr- child's play. No, in one week alone, by the end of the week, the Fed said it would buy $375 billion in treasury sec- securities and $250 billion in mortgage-backed securities. Uh, you have quantitative easing, CMBS edition, CMBS, com- commercial mortgage-backed securities. QE purchases will now include CMBS. But don't worry, only those that are backed by the GSEs and Ginny May. Oh, so it's all government approved. Uh, the primary market corporate credit facility to lend to large companies, which is essentially the Fed lending to SBVs that then provide bridge loans with maturities of four years to large investment-grade corporations. You have secondary market corporate credit facilities buying corporate bonds and U.S.-listed bond ETFs. You have the insidious TALF back. Yes, the Term Asset-Backed Securities Lending Facility, which was created during the Lehman collapse of 2008. Uh, And in this case... The Fed is going to lend money to a special purpose vehicle, an SPV, which then lends on a non-recourse basis to entities and well-connected individuals so that they can buy recently issued asset-backed securities that they post as collateral. And in case you don't realize what that is saying, first of all, of course, lending to entities and well-connected individuals. So... It's not for you and me, of course. It's for people who are already sucking directly on the, t- the teat of uh, the Fed's trillions. But on a non-recourse basis, do you know what that means? As Wolf Richter explains, non-recourse means that if the asset blows up, the individual, the well-connected individual, can just walk away from it unharmed and let the SPV deal with the debris. Do you get what's going on here? Uh, In case you don't, a little history on the TELF, as Wolf Richter provides here. At the end of 2010, under orders from Congress, the Fed released data on over 21,000 transactions it performed during the financial crisis, which revealed, among many other outrageous acts, that the Fed lent to well-connected individuals and all kinds of hedge funds and others under its TELF program so that they would buy certain assets, such as these consumer loan ABS uh, asset-backed securities, drive up their prices, sell them to pension funds and others later for a huge profit, and pay back the loans to the Fed. And who are these well-connected individuals? People like John A. Paulson, Michael Dell, Christy K. Mack, wife of former Morgan Stanley CEO John Mack, small world after all, Kendrick R. Wilson III, former Golden exe- Goldman executive, and top aide to Hank Paulson Jr., a name that might come back up in just a second here. Anyway, moving on the list, uh, because we're not done, um, expanding the money market mutual liquidity facility to uh, purchase municipal demand notes and CDs, uh, expanding the commercial paper funding facility to municipal paper, um, and of course, taxpayers eating the losses of these SPVs, these special purpose vehicles that the Fed Fed is uh, building are creating in order to inject the money in so that it's all at arm's length and the SPVs can basically take on all the losses. Yes, once again, privatizing profits and making losses public. You are going to be ultimately on the hook for this, assuming you survive what is coming economically at all. In case you are not getting the picture here, not only are we going through unprecedented times in every other aspect of our lives, but economically, we are going through completely uncharted territory in the history of humanity. Never have markets been blown so big 
and been completely shut down in such a short amount of time, the economic ramifications of this are, well, I want to say incalculable, but unfortunately, there will be a calculation made, and uh, it's already starting to come in. We're just starting to see the effects of this, and all of that that I've just covered is only the slightest, littlest sliver of the data that's coming in. And that's just in the U.S. context alone. Of course, this is happening in every country simultaneously right now. I know, for example, I've been following my home and native land, the true north, strong and free of Canada, which just recently announced its own $82 billion stimulus, which, the original proposal of which, came with a little booby trap. The uh, the liberal government tried to insert some uh, clauses that would allow it unprecedented discretion to spend, borrow, and tax without parliamentary approval. But the honorable opposition said, uh, uh, excuse me, no. But of course, of course they will try to slip such language into any and every bill uh, that is passed in this emergency time. And in uh, Japan, where I am, of course, has already geared up its 15 trillion yen stimulus pledge, and that's just the beginning. 30 trillion has been floated as a number. But again, this is just the beginning of the crisis. This is just the early days. So all of that, just as background of the controlled demolition of the economy that is taking place right now, so that we're all on the same page, leads us to the next part of this story. Digital dollar stripped from Pelosi pandemic bill. House Democrats' latest version of the Take Responsibility for Workers and Families Act, this would be H.R. 6379, revealed late Monday, does not contain any language around a digital dollar in its section or on direct stimulus payments. The so-called lawmakers introduced the bill last week envisioning a digital payment system organized by the Federal Reserve and its member banks to directly send these funds to U.S. residents to assist them with expenses during the COVID-19 mitigation measures, which have already resulted in massive unemployment and a potentially severe recession, at the very least. In the latest 1,404-page draft, U.S. residents would receive would get 1,500 bucks per person, though individuals with an income greater than 75 and couples with an income greater than 150000 would have to repay the funds. Thanks, government. <laughs> the section detailing the payments, which starts on page 1090, so earmark that page, appears to be less specific on how these payments would be sent to individuals than previous versions have been. The draft bill introduced by Speaker Pelosi, a Pepsi from Calatopia, on Monday no longer includes any language around a digital dollar. A separate bill introduced by Representative Maxine Waters, a Pepsi from California, H.R. 6321, titled the Financial Protections and Assistance for America's Consumers, States, Businesses, and Vulnerable Populations Act. They should, they should talk to Blumenthal and get a catchy, you know, acronym, earn it kind of name for this. According to Coindesk, the Maxine Waters bill still mentions the digital dollar, though that language is expected to be removed from the bill. So, James, as we were saying, the Earn It Act seems like it's just sitting around in committee. These both seem like they're also sitting around in committee. But the latest I can grab, and I didn't actually send this over to you in the show notes, from the Clinton News Network, of course, is the big package they've put together. The White House and Senate leaders struck a major deal early Wednesday morning over a $2 trillion package to provide a jolt to an economy struggling amid the blah, 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 blah. 
What's to say, again, that this latest thousands-of-page omnibus bill doesn't contain essentially the spirit of Earn It, the spirit of the Pelosi, the Maxine Moore. They might all be in there, and we just don't know it yet. So, like the Earn It Act, though, again, we don't know maybe what's in all of this, this $2 trillion stimulus package. you got to imagine there's probably sweet amounts of pork for all those little Congress critters. These are also other ones that, again, a lot of talk, but the bills, from what I can tell, are all still sitting in committee. And again, we'll include the notes right to congress.gov, where you can ostensibly keep up with all the actions made on the bills, they call it. The bad part about all this is, James, they'll be right back with this bill if and when the economy really tanks in a couple of months. Just think about this. Did they just come up with this idea over the weekend and the Federal Reserve was like, yeah, that's a great idea, go for it, and then they wrote a thousand pages about it? No way. Exactly like the Patriot Act. It was written and waiting on the shelf and waiting for the, for the pandemic. As I hope you know by now, that is a clip from the most recent edition of New World Next Week, where James Evan Pilato of MediaMonarchy.com and myself go over the strangely nearly simultaneous inclusion of nearly identical language about digital dollars and digital dollar wallets being included in not one, not two, but three separate bills, two in the House and one in the Senate to do with stimulus or economic aid or whatever they're calling it related to the coronavirus fallout. And that is an interesting story because this is where we get to the rub of the controlled demolition of the economy. Now, I have always maintained it is one of the successes of the 9-11 truth movement that we were able to go from those early days after 9-11 where many people could not wrap their minds around the idea of false flag terrorism. But why would a government attack itself? To the point where people understand that as a tactic and understand how it can be used by power structures to consolidate and expand their powers. Any failure by an authoritarian structure is just an excuse to write ever bigger checks, to ever expand its powers, and to grow its bureaucracy. And that's exactly what happened in the wake of 9-11, and it is because of 9-11 that we had the launch of the war on terror and the war in Afghanistan, and of course that was rolled into the war in Iraq and uh, had many, many reverberations that are still being felt to this day. So that now we can get past that question. Why would the government attack itself as if the mailman or the dog catcher or your local official, the government, was involved in a plot like that? No, that's not how these things op operate. And in similarly, we may be facing the new paradigm in which people may be asking, but why would the, why would the banksters attack their own economy? And the answers are remarkably similar. And here is just one example of that. This type of booby trap being implanted in the economic aid that they're going to hand down from the heavens as a result of the economic calamity we see taking place around us, the digital dollar. And yes, James Evan Pilato is very right to be suspicious that this for example, Pelosi's 1,400-plus page bill was just written overnight, just dashed off in a few hours, and, oh, just happened to have this language about digital dollars that, wow, wouldn't you know it, Maxine Waters has the same language, and, oh, hey, this senator has the same language. Where Everyone, I guess, just arrives at the same idea at the same time, just out of magic, and, and then it gets reinforced as soon as it appears in the public consciousness and gets reported on, but don't worry, it's been taken out of Pelosi's bill, not Waters, and I don't know about this, it still seems to be in the Senate bill as well. 
But anyway, it's been taken out, so don't worry about it, guys. But, you know, COVID-19 stimulus should incorporate digital dollars, says Nasdaq.com guest contributor Ezekiel Kopik, who, oh, by the way, is a partner at C-Labs working on the CeeLo blockchain platform, and, oh, by the way, previously held a variety of roles at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. And he writes, as the world grapples with the devastating effects of the coronavirus, the need for a digital alternative to paper money becomes increasingly clear. In light of the potentially ruinous economic impact now facing society, the U.S. government is preparing an enormous fiscal stimulus package, likely calling for the Treasury Department to send checks to every citizen in the country. But this approach has significant shortcomings, and the government needs to adopt a more innovative alternative. In a nod to these shortcomings, a draft Senate bill inspired by an earlier House Democrat proposal redirected the public discourse by calling for the use of a digital dollar and a corresponding digital dollar wallet to help send funds expeditiously to all qualified individuals. And he goes on to lament that it can take up to nine weeks for physical checks to actually work their way through the system and get to the people. And at any rate, it takes many days for most people to end up getting their money, whereas this could be instantaneous. All you need is a digital dollar wallet that's being maintained by a Federal Reserve member bank, and the Fed can inject their funds directly into your account. What could go wrong? This is great, right, guys? And this this amazing idea that just happened to, I guess, crop up in some House Democrat bills somehow and then got adopted in a Senate bill. Well, there you go. Good. This is how good ideas spread, right? This is how they arise, right? Oh, well, maybe not. You see, in fact, the digital dollar idea has been around for a while and has been talked about and lusted after by people of, well, shall we say, connections for a number of months now. In fact, going back to around almost exactly the time of Event 201, interestingly. Back in October of 2019, we had this op-ed in the Wall Street Journal by J. Christopher Giancarlo and Daniel Gorfine, who wrote, We sent a man to the moon. We can send a dollar to cyberspace. Washington should edge out rivals with a regulated platform for trading greenbacks via blockchain. America was complacent about its technological dominance until the Soviet's 1957 Sputnik launch woke us up. Recent developments in digital currencies similarly threaten the dollar's dominance, and Washington policymakers are taking notice. And it goes on to say, We propose a digital dollar, a government-sanctioned blockchain protocol created and maintained by an independent non-governmental group, but administered by banks and other trusted payment organizations. Cash brought into the system would be exchanged for digital U.S. dollars on a blockchain, with the cash lodged in special escrow accounts maintained by the Federal Reserve. The system could start with a pilot program. People could use their preferred provider's smartphone app to buy digital dollars, then use them in daily transactions. This mechanism could ultimately digitize the dollar in both domestic and international transactions. What are the benefits of this system? Well, this new payment network would still rely on trusted, regulated intermediaries to maintain digital wallets and validate transactions, but it would also let individuals, companies, and states tap the potential advantages of distributed ledger payments, such as much higher transaction speed, enhanced access, and greater transparency. This should mean lower costs for business and consumers and new economic models based on real-time transactions and micropayments. 
security would be another major advance, because no individual validator of the payment ledger would hold complete information regarding all payments. The system would solve some of the privacy and antitrust concerns that arise when a single intermediary, like WeChat or a foreign central bank, holds complete information. More important, compared with a private or foreign digital currency, this system would extend the central role of the US dollar in global finance and allow it to compete confidently in the new digital era. The first major digital currency initiative to draw American users would be fully and unequivocally backed by the greenback. Backed by the greenback. <laughs> this new digital currency regime would re require the support and participation of key actors, including the Fed, along with commercial banks, non-bank intermediaries, technology innovators, and social media platforms. Its independent protocol would prevent conflicts of interest, deploy the best available technology, and gradually expand the network to more participants, both foreign and domestic. And oh, by the way, who is Mr. Giancarlo and Mr. Gorfine? Oh, Mr. Giancarlo is a former chairman of the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, the CFTC. Yes, that CFTC. And Mr. Gorfine is a former chief innovation officer of the CFTC and an adjunct professor at the Georgetown University Law Center. And they set up the Digital Dollar Foundation, which, in association with its Bankster-connected uh, co-founders, oversees the Digital Dollar Project, which has been pimping this digital dollar at Bankster events like Davos, where they made a push for the digital dollar in January of this year. So, so for the last five months, there's been a concerted campaign to get this digital dollar rolling, and hey, wow, here's the perfect opportunity. And isn't it interesting? This is exactly, exactly what I talked about and pointed to in my episode on the Bitcoin PSYOP. This is the PSYOP. Blockchain, digital, cryptocurrency, central bank administered. It's all the same. Don't think about it. This is crypto. You've heard about that. You've heard about that blockchain stuff, right? You've heard about Bitcoin. Well, this is basically that. It's going to be a federally administered, Federal Reserve administered digital wallet. So it'll just, you know, they'll inject funds in and you'll spend them and they'll see absolutely every transaction that's going on. It'll be, it'll be fine. Just like that crypto that all the cool kids are talking about, right? No, of course not. And of course, that is the point of the Bitcoin PSYOP. And I, I know with some, some degree of delight that it is funny to see uh, the people who clearly have not listened to or seen that uh, that podcast who continue to cite it. See, James says Bitcoin is a psyop. Oh, you didn't actually listen to that podcast. But go listen to that podcast. That is exactly what I'm talking about. That's exactly what's rolling out now. Instead of decentralized cryptocurrency, they're going to take it completely centralized fiat blockchain. And uh, they're going to try to confuse the public with it. And mission accomplished because 99% of the public could not tell the difference and has no idea what's going on. And here is here is how it's rolled out. It's rolled out in the midst of an international emergency, economic emergency, at the very least, let alone other types of emergencies, to the point where most people won't even know what's going on until it's already instituted. And then suddenly, oh, I'm getting money in this digital wall. Okay, oh, well, this is how we spend it. And what is the ultimate effect of this? As these ideas work their way into the economy. Because as James Evan Pilato and I said in that New World Next Week episode, it may not happen in this particular round of crisis, but the idea is now injected into the, the language, it's in the legislature, it's working its way through the system. It will come forward eventually in some form or other. And what 
ultimately, what's the plan then? What, what, what's the big deal? What's the beef? Well, of course, the Fed will be happy to, to, to inject the UBI or the stimulus or the coronavirus relief money or whatever it is as we plunge into the Greatest Depression and things get worse and worse and you rely more and more from this manna from heaven. And, well, yeah, I mean, we can't just give everyone just free money. We have, I mean, you have to Obviously, there are strings attached. I mean, for example, you're going to be a good citizen, right? You're going to abide by all the rules and regulations that we put down. You're going to, of course, observe the quarantines and the self-isolation orders. And, and oh, yeah, I mean, eventually there's going to be digital certificates to prove that you got the vaccine when the vaccine comes out. I mean, of course, in order to be a good citizen and to interact in society, you're going to have to have the vaccine. So... You take the vaccine and then you can get your money. And if you think that this is crazy talk, well, tell that to Bill Gates. Yes, in case you missed it, Bill Gates, Mr. Bill Gates, Mr. Pandemic, who's been pimping the pandemic panic for the last five years now on the record, uh, has recently, well, been everywhere. I'm sure you've seen more of Bill Gates in the past few weeks than you have in the past few years or perhaps in the past decade, uh, because he's the man of the hour. This billionaire computer guy is suddenly in charge of global public health? Wait, what? Uh, uh, Well, he is a billionaire. I guess he must know what he's talking about, right? And in his recent Reddit AMA, which of course received all sorts of accolades from the the Reddit uh, community, because, you know, that's the the homepage of the internet, right? Uh, He responded to one question by saying, um, the question of which businesses should keep going is tricky. Certainly food supply and the health system. We still need water, electricity, and internet. Simple supply chains for critical things need to be maintained. Countries are still figuring out what to keep running. Eventually, we will have some digital certificates to show who has recovered or been tested recently or when we have a vaccine, who has received it. And oh, yeah, By the way, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, that wonderful philanthropy, money from heaven, out of nowhere, which is so concerned about getting those global population numbers down with vaccines, don't think about it too hard, are also looking into technologies for, you know, digital IDs and tattoos, uh, electronic tattoos that can be implanted with vaccines. You know, just different, different ideas for how we can quickly in a scan just tell if you've received your shot and if so then then maybe we could tie that to the stimulus payment do you understand every step of this is another step towards the complete lockdown of the economy the ultimate nightmare of the cashless society that i have been talking about for over a decade it all comes together in this it's truly nightmare it's truly nightmare and people are starting to get their heads around it with the idea okay so there will be a social credit score and it will be linked to such things as have you received your vaccine or have you broken your quarantine order self-isolation orders or have you done this have you done that and that will be linked to your stimulus payments as the economy collapses around and you lose your job and it is not it does not take a particularly imaginative person to see where things go from here. They are already going into place. It's just a question of whether that happens during this crisis or the next round or the next round, because as I've said before, this is not the end of the story. This is just the beginning of this particular chapter in the scare. 
Oh, it's another season. Oh, coronavirus is coming back around. Oh, it looks like a new novel novel virus is developing in China or Mexico or wherever they say. And you better lock down again. And here it comes again. And how can we prepare for the next pandemic? And I, I do not see an end to this anytime in the near future. And if you're being honest with yourself, neither do you. This is just the beginning. And I hope you can see from what I've laid out today. And again, this is just the sliver. This I, We will have to continue to go over this in much greater detail in many passes to really, truly get the full scope of it. But I hope I have at least introduced you to the core concept of what is happening right now and the type of economy that we are being engineered into. All of which will no doubt leave many people in the audience wondering, so what is the solution? What can we do about this? And this is where it is my duty to inform you that the solution is exactly what I have been saying it, what it is for the past decade plus. All of the solutions that I have talked about at CorbettReport.com are not only as relevant now as they were in that pre-crisis era, but they're a thousand times more relevant. And I hope you understand why that is so. So I'm going to invite you to go to CorbettReport.com and type solutions into the search bar. If you're lazy, there will be a link in the show notes to the solutions tag on CorbettReport.com so you can browse through the dozens and dozens and dozens of hours of audio and video material that I have on this subject of what do we do about this. And the answer in a nutshell, in a word, is decentralization. Decentralization of everything. Decentralization of currency. Decentralization of food production. Decentralization of every aspect of control that is exactly counter to what is going on right now which is the great consolidation of power in the hands of the government. The government will know where you are and who you interact with and what you do and will be able to prevent you from leaving your house and will be able to force your business out of business and will be able to force you onto the, uh, the stimulus program that will require good social credit and the vaccine certificate and all of this that we see coming. The only possible solution to this the only solution that has ever really existed is the creation of our own communities, the growing of the Agora. And this is, a, this is a subject that we're going to, again, have to come back to over and over. But I did broach it recently when talking to Dan Dix of Press for Truth about these very subjects. Well, James, you've been warning people about this for over a decade and a half. <clears throat> and perhaps now people are listening, and I, I hope they are. So if that indeed is the case, what sort of advice might you have for people moving forward, especially if we are in just phase one of a multi-phase attack here, let's call it, um, if we are about to see the next wave of this uh, you know, clampdown, the next attempt at gaining another step towards the one world government, the total control grid, the cashless society, what do people need to know today before things get too crazy when they're paying attention now because, uh, you know, things are getting crazy. What, are you, what, what, what sort of advice do you have for people now who are just now starting to pay attention? Well, absolutely everything that I have said uh, about solutions and the way forward has been magnified by a thousand with light of this emergency situation, which has always been the case. I've always been talking about the way out, the solutions that we have on the table. And yeah, it, it may be small today, but you, you start small and you build it up because by the time the crisis happens, it will be too late. Well, now we're in the middle of the crisis 
and people are maybe more receptive to these ideas, which is unfortunate because it is, uh, it's you, the time to start was the day before yesterday, as in several years ago, let alone today. Um, but I, I would highly suggest people go to corporatereport.com and just type the word solutions in the search bar and look through the dozens and dozens and dozens of articles and videos and interviews that I've done over the years on various aspects of the solution, which I think you can put under the broad category of decentralization. Because what is happening right now is an absolute centralization of power and control in the hands of the government. They want control over every aspect of your life, including your ability to leave your own home. Again, you couldn't have even said this a couple of months ago and gotten most of the population to even contemplate the possibility. Well, here it is. So if you want to exist in a world where you don't have to rely on some government to provide you with stimulus money so that you can squeak by, the only solution is community organizations, freedom cells, agorism and trading amongst neighbors through community currencies and alternative currencies and cryptocurrencies and precious metals and not just one or, you know, A, B or C, no, D, all of the above, all of these things, guerrilla gardening, farmers markets, all of these things which you should have been building up over the past several years when you know there's a problem coming. Here is the problem and here is why the only thing that can make us get us through this other than some magical handout from the unicorn government that's going to have a few strings attached is to have community structures in place to have a community of some sort and community can be virtual and i think there is a, a, a good aspects to having an online community that can support you but also of course physical geographical community that you can actually physically interact with and transact with which will be the only way again in the future, assuming we head towards this digital central bank currency, again, might not happen this week, but it it's coming and they're prepping you for it. When that happens and you have to have your, your, your yeah, I took the vaccine bracelet or whatever it is in order to transact with people, well, the only other way to get around it will be in these community organizations and, and currencies that you have fostered that are decentralized. And that's it. That is the solution. And it is it, it, most people don't want to hear it because they would much prefer, oh, someone's going to automatically give me money in my account every month? Hey, great, problem solved. But um, that's basically forsaking your humanity because the further we go down that road, the more we are nothing but tax cattle to the, uh, the controllers. I'm not here to sugarcoat this news or to sell you a bunch of soap. We, I hope, by this point, all understand the incredibly dire economic straits that we are being placed into by this incredible, unprecedented, pyrotechnically spectacular series of events that have played through the global economy over the past few months, let alone all of the other aspects of our lives that have been and will be affected. But let's not glide over that fact. The economy is this vague term that we have been trained to associate with stock market numbers or other things that kind of barely impact our lives. No, the economy is the combined sum total of productive human activity. What we are talking about is not some sort of collapse of numbers in the stock market. We are talking about human lives, despair, the likes of which have not been seen in our lifetime. And I hope that just the sliver of detail that I have provided today with just 
a little bit of the incredible economic news that we've looked at today will at least let you understand that we are on the very beginning of that roller coaster as it starts plunging downwards. And as always, the solution remains the same. The, it is orders of magnitude uh, more important. The stakes have been raised so high, but the solutions remain the same. Anything and everything that we can do to decentralize and get off of the government teat needs to be done. In fact, as I said to Dan Dix, it needed to be done several years ago, but better now than never. And pretty soon, as the gates of this economic prison start to shut on us, it will be never. So building and fostering community organizations and freedom cells, interacting and transacting with those around you in alternative currencies and complementary currencies and cryptocurrencies and precious metals and let's uh, systems and other ways of transacting and interacting goods and services with each other that don't rely on government-issued fiat are all going to be important, as with decentralizing food production, for example, guerrilla gardening and supporting locals' farmers markets and other things of that nature, uh, decentralizing energy, uh, getting off of the energy grid, absolutely everything that we can do to maintain as much self-sufficiency as possible is what is going to be required to avoid this economic dragnet. As the controlled demolition of the economy takes place and the government hands out its, puts out its hand as the savior that will pry you from the rubble, don't worry, we've got you. It just comes with a few strings attached. Well, if you are in that vulnerable position, you won't be in a position to say no for you or your family's sake, which is why the stakes have never been higher. And as I say, there are going to be a lot of links in today's episode to both study what is happening in the ongoing, unfolding economic collapse that we are living through, but perhaps more to the point, more importantly, the actual things that we can be doing and should have been doing, but can st continue doing to get ourselves off of that government enslavement grid because it is coming. Some very important information today. I hope you will spread this information to others who are willing to listen. And I will be continuing to document this as it continues to unfold. So I hope you'll be here to join me for that unfolding story. This is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. The Corbett Report is brought to you by The Corbett Report subscriber. A weekly newsletter featuring James Corbett's international forecaster editorial, recommended reading and viewing, discounts on Corbett Report DVDs, and once a month, a subscriber-only video. Sign up today to start receiving your copy at CorbettReport.com support.